Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. My name is Nosa Yari and welcome to another episode. Today I have Aisha Brown all the way from warm San Diego. How's it going, Aisha? It's going good. I like how you said that too. It is warm. It's beautiful out. It was a beautiful day today. It is. It is. I mean, it's not as cold as last week as I was discussing here in Colorado, but um, I guess it not being so bad, I could probably go outside today just to stretch, but whatever. Um, But how's it going with you? How's uh, 2021? Off to a good start? Everything cool? 2021 has been insane. It's, um, I think the last year was kind of like the major reset all across the board, I think for the whole country. Facts. And I really just started planning, strategizing, what do I want to do next? What am I going to do now? And really that, it all came to fruition this year. And so I've been busier than ever. But I'm I'm humbled. I'm grateful, and it's it's been a really good time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the congratulations. I mean, even though you're so busy, like that, that's uh, some kind of privilege because a lot of people find yourself just you know in a sunken place and whatever in the aftermath of the pandemic or whatever. But you know, hopefully, you know, by the summer, hopefully we can have a summer this year. God, please. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit. Your name is Aisha Brown. And, you know, I asked you this question uh, before we started recording. I was like, do I, is that like a typo? Do I say Asia Brown or is Aisha Brown? And I said, no, it's actually Aisha. So um, shout out to your parents, man. That's a pretty cool name. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen that before. But what's the story there? Was your was your dad stationed overseas or what's what's the story my, there? So my dad's non-military, non-militant too. Um, but he, he actually gave me my name. He said it was I being him. And then Asia, which is the best part of the land, it's Mecca, it's the Holy Land. It's he goes, so you are the best part of me. You're I Asia. I was like, okay, and that's how I, that's how I got my name. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Wait, he considered Asia the Holy Land. Uh, was that tied to like his religion, or he had some history in that part of the world, or what was that? Where that come from? That's that's where uh, he said was the best part. Of, he said that was the best part of the land, and I said, okay, okay. so. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to take it. I'll t- I take it as a compliment every time he says that, so. Yeah, no, it is. I just wanted to know the context behind it, and, and maybe maybe someday I'll, I'll get to ask him. Um, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. Uh, let's talk about Asia growing up. Uh, so you grew up in Queens, right, New York? I did, South Jamaica, Queens, New York City. Oh, right, right. I, I always like anyone I have on the podcast who lives in New York or grew up in New York, I always like telling them about me coming to the U.S., right? So I came to the U.S., what? I think I visited the U.S. like four, four or five years ago, but I actually relocated to the U.S. maybe like three and a half years ago. And when I came, I landed in JFK. And I had to make my way all the way down to Port Authority, I think, to take like a Greyhound bus somewhere. Uh, So, and I landed in JFK like 2 a.m. in the morning, right? And I was trying to like, the airport was empty, obviously, because it's 2 a.m. in the freaking morning and international flight. So I tried to like look for like an airport attendant, like, okay, you know what? Like, I need to get to Port Authority. Like, it's 2 a.m. in the morning. Obviously, the buses aren't running. Like, what can I do? And I was like, oh, you can take the train. It's 24-7. However, um, when you're taking the train, your Google Maps will say the shortest route is to stop at Port Authority or or stop at Jamaica, Queens or something and switch trains, I think, then go to Port Authority. said, however, don't do that. 
don't come down at Jamaica Queens at 2 a.m. in the morning with bags from the airport. Go all the way down to this place. It'll be a longer trip, but it's a safer trip. And that was my introduction to the U.S. I was like, what the hell is in New York? I've had, I've heard good things about Queens. I mean, coming to America, except the fact that 50 Cent <laughs> was shot nine times in Queens. Like, like what's, what's, it's not so bad, but how is it like for you, like, kind of growing up? Like, a lot of people who grew up in New York normalize a lot of the things that happen in New York, depending on the era that you grew up. But what would you say your experience was? It, was it, like, over-sensationalized? Was it normal for you? Did you experience any of that stuff that we see on the media growing up? It, it was completely normal for me. Um, I, I was I was in Southside when 50 Cent got shot, you know. Me, 50 Cent, Nicki Minaj, oh, Cool J, the Lost Boys, like the whole, you think about the whole New York City, Queens sound group, like these are all people that I've seen my whole life. Um, I, had a, I had a little cousin who, I mean, he used to do drive-bys for fun. Like he would just roll around the streets shooting for out For fun? Just, yeah, and it, it was just in, like now as an adult, when you think about it, I'm like, right. like I, I mean, he went to jail, of course. But um, but it was it was just an insane time. But it was so normal. Um, I used to tell the story like everyone when I joined the military, they're like, "Why do you run so fast?" Because I could run, like I could run. I can hit three, three miles in less than sixteen minutes, easy. Wow. And I'm like, you never had to run from crackheads on your way home from school. Run from crackheads? Yeah. They, I used to. So the way I used to come home from school, there was like a corner store. Then you turn, and then I have to cross. I have to get. Their block was right before my block, so I had to walk past their house to get to my house. Okay. And they just used the love, and I knew both of them, but they loved to chase me because they knew I would run, and that became, that was my conditioning for the military is that <laughs> I knew every day when I got off the school bus, I was going to have to haul ass past their house and just, but, but it. Wow. It, like, I think back, like, you remember the crack vials on the street, and at the time, I didn't know what they were, but now I do, and so I don't it even know. It was real. Say, yeah, it was, it was, it was a real time, but I, I never felt unsafe because it was so normal. Right, right. I mean, I can relate to that in a certain way because I'm Nigerian, right? And some people, you know, obviously we had issues with terrorism and, you know, a bunch of slew of other stuff back on when people, oh my God, like, you know, this, I'm like, uh, I mean, it was kind of normal for us, like, kind of like growing up in voodoo and all that stuff. Like, it was like, you know, this things happen, but, you know, you, you, that's why when I see people like Nas, who is also like from Queens, like he has like a venture capital thing going on right now and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, like it speaks volumes like to the to the intelligence of people like that and like you you know growing up in that kind of environment and still like making a way when you know you have friends and stuff that that went to jail and things like that but man shout out to you man i think uh being being from there made me one not want to go back and if i do go back i want to go back to bring people with me oh that's interesting because most people who are like from jamaica queens like they have like family like you know maybe their grandmother or their father who still has a house you know there is that your case or all your family is kind of like out no my father still has a house there he right, right i can walk from jfk to my house oh Literally. nice it's a quick walk too it's not even far not even a mile Nice, nice. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you, you were in this athletic journey when you were younger, <laughs> ultimately, like, and you went to high school in New York, right? Everything? I did. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Eventually, you joined the military. Like, what made you um, want to join the military? I think you joined the Air Force. Like, were you recruited straight out of high school? Did you walk into uh, what they call those things, like a recruitment office yourself? Uh, did, did you have something go on where you were given an option or you have to join the military or were you led on? Like, what was your story? I knew freshman year of high school when they asked everyone, hey, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, I'm going into the military. And I wanted to go into freshman the Freshman year? Oh, yeah, I knew. Wow. I always knew. But um, it, it was by design, it was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the Marine Corps, but I was 17 when I joined and I could not get my father to sign uh, parental consent for me to join the Marine Corps. So, you know, what do you do when your father keeps telling you, no, you ask your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you, you change your age, but I realized that oh, it's America, so that's not so easy. <laughs> but anyway. I, you know, I asked my grandma, I was like, grandma, I, I, I wanna join the Air, I was like, I wanna join the Marine Corps. This is why I, I just need, I needed to get out of New York. My, my friends were dying. My friends were going to jail. Oh, wow. So it was an out for you. Yeah, I didn't. I never had that mindset, but I, I wanted to be able to travel the world. I just wanted to be free. You know, I, I knew I had younger brothers and sisters. I didn't want my father to have to bear the financial responsibility of putting me through college. Like I, I had all this mapped out and lined out. So uh, she wouldn't she wouldn't sign for me to join the Marine Corps. But she said, I'll sign for you to join the Air Force. And I was like, OK, because the boot camp was six weeks. It was quick. Right. And, you know, I was like, OK. And that's what I did. I, and But as soon as my four years was up, though, I found my way to the Marine Corps. But it... Right, right. Wait, can you even join the Marine Corps? And, you know, this might be being a little ignorant. Like, can you even join the Marine Corps directly or they have to pick you? Or is that the SEALs? But they have to pick you from an existing branch already to join. So the SEALs, you can try out. You you can be in any branch and go to, like, SEAL selection school. But um, for, for the Marine Corps... You can enlist. You can enlist like any other branch. Right, right. And wh why the Marine Corps? Like specifically, what was it like? Did you watch a movie? Did you meet a Marine? Like what made you? Because Marine training is no joke. Like what made you want to go to the Marine? Listen, I was like, if I can survive crackheads, I can survive anything. So my right. mindset was, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be with the best. You know, I'm, I'm and, I, and I just went for it. And I, I've never looked back. It was, it was a great time in my life. It was a great experience. I got to see the world, you know, I got to see Africa. That's a okay, okay, and we'll talk about that, but let's talk about training. Like, six weeks, uh, the U.S. Air Force, like, where did you guys train? Did you guys go to North Carolina? Where, where, where was it? So training for the Air Force is six weeks in San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio, okay. And what day have you guys do? It was like jungle gym for me. So okay. it was like, it was like running. Like, you would do your workouts, and then you would do classwork, and you do workouts, and you do classwork, but it, it was... It was no more than like a summer camp for me. That's it? That, that's so, it. Wait, what? I, I would imagine it wasn't the same for everyone. Like you just, maybe you, you, you were like physical, you always exercise and things. So it <laughs> came naturally to you. Or maybe I would assume it didn't come as naturally to other people. No, um, there are people who cried and stuff and it baffled me. Oh, wow. Me. But the flip side of that is, uh, fun fact, if you go, if you join the Marine Corps first and then go to any other branch of service, you don't have to go to boot camp. But Ooh. if you join another branch of service and then go to the Marine Corps, you have to go to boot camp again. Boot so camp I had to, again. So I had to do Marine Corps boot camp for 13 weeks. Wow. But that's not common, right? People joining the Marines and going to, like, it's common for people to come from outside into the Marines, but not leave the Marines to go to other places. Or is it? It is. It, it, people people switch services based on what they're trying to do. Maybe there's an occupation that's available in one service, but not the other. Right. Sometimes okay, so they want to slow down their life. Sometimes they want to speed up their life. 
Right, right. Okay, so you had your, you know, eyes set on the Marines from when you were 17. You knew what you wanted to do. Did you know what you wanted to do in the Marines? Like some people just said, you know, I want to go to sniper school. I want to be a sniper. Or, you know, some people say I want to be, you know, this or that. Like, did you have an idea of the structure of the military and what you wanted to do within the Marines or even the Air Force? So the Air Force was a, was a surprise for me because I went to school to be a cook, but my first base was Dover Air Force Base. And if you're not familiar with Dover Air Force, space. It's the Port Mortuary, all the military branches. Sorry, where? what state is that? That's Delaware. Delaware. Okay. Dover, Delaware. And I went to school to be a cook, you know, but they didn't tell me that my job had five other jobs attached to it. And one of them was Port Mortuary. What's that? So that's the same question. That is the same exact question that I asked. <laughs> Walk with me for a minute, right? All right. So I turned 18 while in boot camp. And then I get to... I get to my first duty station. I get to Dover, Delaware in October of 2000, unknowing to me that a tragedy just happened somewhere off the coast of another foreign country, right? So I check in. I'm like, hi, Airman Brown here. I'm, I'm, I'm here to be a cook. They're like, oh, you're going to a mortuary. I said exactly what you said. I said, what's a mortuary? They said, you'll see when you find out. So a mortuary is where you prepare the dead. That's where all, that's the one place where all the casualties of combat, of any like national disasters that happen, they come there to get their, their bodies identified and processed and then returned back for final arrangement. So that was my introduction to the military. Oh my goodness. And you so, were running away from New York just to get back into... <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was running from death just to, just to be surrounded by it. Right, right. Wow. That's and you were doing that and cooking at the same time? No, I was I was there for that. But then I went back and you know, I I did the cook thing, I did the the lodging work in the hotel thing. Right, right, uh, right. But you got to remember that was 2000, so 2001 hit another national tragedy for, in mm -hmm. New York City. Yeah. So it was a lot. So I decided when I joined the Marine Corps, I said, "All right, I'm going to pick better this time. I'm not going open contract. I'm going to I'm going to do it. So the recruiter was like, what job do you want? I said, I don't care what I have, but I want a job where the people talk back. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's what I, I needed. I needed a job where the people would talk back to me. And he was right. like, great. He was like, great communications. And he put me in communications and it's been a, it's, it was, it was great. It was a good time. It's a very good time. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, what were some of the places you were deployed to like during your four years with the Air Force or even with the Marines? Like you said, you mentioned that you visited Africa, but what were some of the, what was the first place you were deployed to? The first place I was deployed to was Kuwait. I was in Kuwait oh, wow. right before the invasion of Iraq. So we moved from Kuwait to Iraq. Uh, so I, that's why I keep this, you see my world. My, yeah. I, I'm going to ask world. you about that. Yeah. But um, the very first place of First foreign soil that I touched was Kuwait, but Iraq, I've been on every continent but Antarctica. Um, wow. I've, I've been to Somalia. I've been to Djibouti. I've been to Kenya. I've been to Egypt. I've been to South Africa. I'm trying to get to Madagascar one day. Um, Japan, China, New Zealand. I mean, it is the military, but how, how often do you, do you get to volunteer or you're pretty much just deployed? I mean, you have to follow others in the military, but just, did some of those places where they, you like volunteering that, hey, you know, there's this assignment, I want to sign up for that. So yes, so the Marine Corps has something called Marine Expeditionary Units, a MU, and you can volunteer for a MU because those are the, those are the uh, assignments people try to volunteer for because we do them with the Navy. And what we do is we get on a ship. And so I left on my daughter's first birthday. It was her first birthday. I was waving by to her from the ship. Oh, wow. And we left San Diego. We went straight to Guam. From Guam, we went to Australia. Australia, we went to Sri Lanka. Guam to Australia? Was that like, what, 10 months on the, on the sea no, no, or no. something? No, it was a, a nine-month deployment, but we were just... 
I mean, we went to Sri Lanka. No, I mean, that seems pretty far on the map. That's what I'm saying. Guam all the way to Australia by by sea. Did right? we? Did we stop? Maybe we had to stop. Months like, maybe. Oh well, we just went place to place. I don't know if we went straight from Guam to. No, we did. We went to Australia pretty pretty quick. Actually, we might have went to Australia first and Guam on the way back. But I know in the list of countries, it was Guam, Australia, Sri Lanka, East Timor. We stopped in Kuwait, went to Jordan. Like we we just had a. I mean. But those are the type of assignments where you get to go to a bunch of different countries right? in like a six to nine month span. And it's it's such a good time. It was such a good time. Had you Did you have the opportunity to travel like pre-military or the military was the one that gave you the opportunity to like visit all these places? Um, I mean, pre-military, you kind of just travel for family because I was underage. So it was like, oh, let's go to Boston. Let's go here. Let's go there. But when I really was able to see the world was when I was in the military. So fun fact for people in the military who don't know, because a lot of them don't, if you are on leave, which is like paid vacation for the civilians, you can go to any place that has a military aircraft and you can fly to wherever they're flying. So because I was at Delaware, I would take vacation and I would fly to like Germany or I would fly to Spain or wherever the plane was going. I'm here to get on wherever that plane is going. Oh, so you don't need like a, you don't need like a passport or visa? No, maybe not a visa, but... Do you need like a passport or anything or is it like a military thing? It was a military thing. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. Maybe that's one one reason to sign up. <laughs> Pretty interesting, a free flight to different places. And you, you talk a lot about like PTSD and like anxiety and stuff. Like what type of things uh, led to that? Obviously, like with 2001, like a lot of the efforts, like the war efforts were ramped up in a bunch of countries and stuff. And you mentioned some of those. Like what were some of those things that led to anxiety? And what was what's one incident you can talk of without, you know, reliving too much of whatever it is uh, that you experienced during those trips. You're lucky I have a good therapist, so I'm always prepared for stuff like this. Right. But, I mean, I was a New Yorker. I got to watch the Twin Towers burn in person and then had to turn around and process those bodies. You know, I was in Iraq during the initial invasion, so I got to watch my brothers and sisters die, and then I had to collect their pieces, and then I had to send them back to their families. And then I got to come back, and then I had to be the person processing them sometimes. So you, you, see, you see a lot, and at that age, even though, you know, we're adults, adults, proverbially, but you're still young and developing, and you're, you're kind of trying to process everything, but you're too busy working that you don't have time to process. Fast. So, so later on, when it catches up to you, it's like, when it hits you, it hits you. So for me, I wanted to... I wanted to take control of it before it took control of me. So I had I had to find a way. I had you know like like literally be like, all right, I'm not okay. I need to do something about this, and then really progressively start working towards it, and then encouraging other people. Like, look, we all know we went through some things. Like, we need to be better because the only people that suffer are the people that live in the houses with us. You know, so that's where. You know, it's interesting you say that because I struggle with that as well. You know, being being candid myself, like I. You know, I do know that, you know, I'm carrying a lot of stuff from the past and things I experienced in my childhood and all that. And I, it always happens to me like once or twice a year, maybe not more than twice a year, maybe once, twice a year, where it'll be a whole week where I'll just like go to a place where I'll just be like depressed and I want to do anything or whatever. So I, I've over the last like six or seven years, I've come to rationalize that, okay, the week is coming sometime with during the year where it'll come, but it'll come and it'll blow over and I have to get back to work. Like, I feel like it's practical, you know, to 
not deal with it, just push it aside and keep moving. I do know the value of therapy and everything like that, but I haven't like gotten to your position where I bring myself to submit myself to like a, a therapy session or actually sign up because for one, like it is pretty expensive and I'm still like trying to know when I'm ready to face those demons and everything. So what are like some of the practical steps you can tell someone like me or people listening that maybe you've, you've learned from your therapist or reading that can can be practical ways to unburden ourselves from some of these things that we carry as far as PTSD or anxiety is concerned. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that though. I always say that everyone's carrying something, you know, some people are carrying a wallet. Some people are carrying a purse. Some people got a backpack. Some people have U-Hauls hooked up to their souls and they're just dragging it with them. And a lot of them aren't ready to unpack what, what, what they have in there. However, um, I started doing this practice at night and it really just took me to a, a different place where, cause when you, when you have those weeks, is it hard for you to sleep? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Because you have all your thoughts. So I would lay there and I would lay back like I was an executive, like in an executive chair and everyone was sitting at my boardroom table and I would invite one by one, whatever negative thought I had to come and sit down. And I set a timer. You, you got a minute to tell me what you want from me. And, wow. and, and I would get it all out. And each time another thought came, it would sit down at that table and I would, I would need to address it. And slowly but surely, what they had to say to me got shorter and shorter until they didn't even show up to the meetings anymore. Did, do you like vocalize anything like, hey, you know, or it was all in your head kind of thing? It was just, it was just all in my head because that's where everything was happening. And then I started finding positive ways to release my, that, that energy. And, you know, I started painting. Like, I am not formally trained. I never took a painting class, never took a drawing class in my life. And I really just started focusing my energy on the details and really just painting with the details. And that just became my outlet. You know, that's interesting. And let's, let's touch on that because I've seen your stuff on your, on your website, iasiabrown.com. Like, it's really good. And I think you even have one of yourself, like, in, like, military uniform. Like, where did that come from? Like, how long have you been doing that? And did you just picked up a brush and, like, Bob Ross style started, like, throwing on the canvas kind of thing? Uh, first, I started with a, a pencil and some graphite. And I would just draw um, black and white pictures of people. And then one day I was like, I wonder if I can paint. And I just started painting. And I wish I could say that it was, it was something I thought about, like I, something I, I wanted to give my time to. But for me, it was my own personal self-therapy. It was one where I was so focused on painting, I could not pay attention to anything else. You know what? That makes a lot of sense. Like I'm, I'm drawing parallels between the two of us, like with the New York thing and the Nigeria thing, the PTSD thing, and even with painting. Like, I guess I can say in a sense, like podcasting is also my way because I've been doing this podcast for like two years now for like 120 something weeks nonstop. Like I've never missed an episode. And just that's just because like I can be having like a bad day. But I just get to like interact with someone from the other part of the world or someone like, you know, we just talk about stuff and I just feel better. So maybe podcasting is my own like version of painting in a sense but you have this alter ego called tech picasso right that obviously the, the painting has something to do with that the picasso is in there and you work at microsoft right so you work in tech so like i'm gonna ask like what is is that name more geared towards the painting side or the tech side or it's kind of like a unification kind of like describing you and your different facets that kind of thing it's it's just me it's just literally who i am and the nickname was funny because um when people ask me, like, what do I do? You know, I would tell them, like, hey, this is what I do. And then someone else would be like, yeah, but she paints, she roller skates, she's 
paints on roller skates and she does they're like she's she's just like a tech picasso and then the name kind of just stuck like everyone in the building would just call me tech picasso right like everyone in the building at work right Mm -hmm. and that must be pretty interesting and most of these things you're describing don't seem usual for like the environment uh you know, like roller skating, knowing you wanted to go to the Marines at 17, uh, painting without any like training or anything. Like, is there like, are you writing a book here? Like, what's the end goal? Like, what does Aisha want to achieve with all this talents and background? So funny, you would ask. I am writing a book though, but it's not about, I don't, I don't think it's about me per se, but it's, it's called Love Letters to My Daughter. I decided to write this book because I didn't have a mom growing up and I wanted to leave something for my daughter to guide her along the way. Just like, you know, from this age to this age, these are the, the, your chapters, you know, 15 to 20, these are your chapters. I promise you, by the time you hit 30, you're going to know that I was right about a whole lot. <laughs> right. But I originally I did it in a, I recorded it. I just recorded it out loud because I wanted her to hear it in my voice. I wanted her to hear the conviction. I wanted her to know that this was really me telling her, no, like, I'm serious. I want you to hear this. Right. And so that way, if, you know, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm dead and gone, if she needs me and I can't be there, she can, you know, rewind that book, listen to it and be like, damn, you know, my, my mom really did care enough. She really did listen. She really did prepare me for this. Nice. And so, how old is your daughter right now? She's 11. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Like a lot of people do different versions of, of this where they like set up like an Instagram page and like take pictures till your kids are like 18 and hand them over. Some people um, schedule emails that go out once a year mm-hmm. to their, to their uh, significant other or their kids or things like that. Like a book will really be cool, like documenting different things for, for different age group. And she definitely would not forget, you know, particularly after her teens, because from what I understand, I don't have kids, but from what I understand, and like they don't listen to you when they're teenagers. Um, we didn't do much of listening when we we're teenagers as well. So I guess it's just a cycle. Has your dad ever told you, like maybe when you, you were mad at your daughter or something, even though she's 11, they're like, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel too good, does it? <laughs> no. <laughs> like reminding I, you of when you were at her age. I, I got lucky. I don't, I have like a phenomenal child. She is nothing like any child I've ever met. And okay. that's not me saying that because she's my child. She really is like. But she's like what? Like reserved. She's like polite. She's oh, yeah, she's very polite, very well mannered. But she mm-hmm. she's very much into her own thought. She's very innovative, very creative. And she just, you know, like she came upstairs earlier and she was like, mom, I did the dishes and then I took everything out the dishwasher, loaded the dishwasher. Then I rearranged the cup cabinet because I really didn't like what was going on in there. Wow. And then I, yeah, she like rearranged the entire kitchen today. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. The kitchen was my worst place growing up. Like we, well, uh, one of my worst places, like we always had this, uh, a roster for me and my siblings, like, okay, one person washes the place today. The other person like cleans the living area. Like and we'll swap. And sometimes we try to trade and like, no, it's not dirty enough for me to trade. Okay. You have to do two days of the living area and all that good stuff. But Wow, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And, you know, um, I can't wait to experience that myself uh, being a parent. Uh, any advice for like young parents or new parents out there? Um, you know, what, what, what to look out for, how to, you know, guide this infant, even when you yourself in so many ways are an infant, <laughs> you know, things like that. I had to um, apply the rules that apply to me to her. And my entire life, everyone told me, 
the things that I wouldn't do, what I wouldn't do. And I was like, I'm going to do it because it was what I wanted to do and because I could, I could fathom it even if they couldn't. So now when she tells me she wants to try something or, hey, mom, I want, I was thinking about doing this, I encourage it. I want her to mm. explore it. I'm like, rock, I do not ever try Encouraging to learn. Encouraging self-expression. This child started walking at six months. Wow. Well, her, her mom was running that. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like she, came, she came out with the legs. And I said, she has somewhere to go. And wherever she's trying to go, I will not be the one to stay in her way. Mm. So I have to, I give her the space to learn create, adapt, fail, recover. And it, it, it's just been, it, it's been beautiful. Like, you know I, what, you know what, that's amazing. You know, that's very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm Nigerian. And I say this to say like in a typical African household, like self-expression is not encouraged a lot of ways. And I don't know if I can, you know, extend that to the black household as well. Like, it's like, you know, don't look your elders in the eye. Don't talk when grownups are talking. Like as a kid, you're just like in this silence. Then people, you know, you know, wonder when you grow up. Uh, meanwhile, in the Caucasian community, it's like they do all these things, karate, summer camp, piano lessons. They they call their parents by their first name. And people wonder, oh, why, why are you growing up to be so, you know, whatever? Like, th this is just how it is, you know, that kind of thing. Even working here in the U.S., it took me a while to get used to calling my coworkers, like, by their first names and everything. Because back home, even if someone is your coworker, like, if that person is older than you, culturally, you have to address their person as sir or ma'am or you know something like that so it's not it's not like the same thing so it's just like an adjustment and hopefully you know with parenting uh hopefully we can do our best to, to raise a better generation that'll, that'll do better for the world than we did um but let me talk about your podcast real quick so you have a podcast that recently dropped the butterfly revolution interesting name by the way like you have a thing with names like your dad was first I Asia. it's like uh, you know tech picasso butterfly revolution it's like you know you, you have this album's <laughs> droppings maybe it's like the queen's mentality or something but yeah talk to me about the butterfly uh, revolution um we can have a link in the description for people who want to check it out. But what do you hope to achieve? What will you be documenting with this podcast? And what do people, uh, what should people expect? So for me, I chose the butterfly revolution because I'm a big fan of the butterfly effect. And do you know what the butterfly effect is? The Ashton Kutcher film? Or the other phenomenon? The, the actual effect. phenomenon effect. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. Spoken like a true millennial. I got you. <laughs> so it's if all the butterflies in the world flap their wings, they could start a tidal wave. You know, it means that one small, minute change can can cause something so granular. So I love talking to people who, and it's and it's I I don't I don't know the guests find me really. I listen to people tell their stories, and I like listening to that those pivotal points in their life where they decided to make a change, and it just completely changed their entire life. Whether you know they were running from streets, running from drugs, you know, facing addiction, turn around and became a multimillionaire. Just listening to, you know, people who are felons who started their own businesses and now they're giving back to the communities that they once ravaged. So it's, um, you know, female bodybuilders, how, you know, the misconception of female bodybuilders and what beauty should look like. I really love giving people the platform just to tell their stories and have their stories heard. So, nice, nice. So is this going to be like an interview-based podcast? It is, it is. Okay, definitely looking forward to it as, you know, someone that has an interview-based podcast myself. I'm always interested in, you know, stories as well. And I'll definitely be giving that a listen and uh, look forward to it. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, before I let you go, I need to ask you one last question, maybe two questions. Okay. Who's your favorite Queens rapper and who's the best rapper of all time? Put you on the spot. Oh, 
My favorite Queens rapper. Everybody gonna be mad if I don't say Nas. But Queensbridge. It, it's 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 not Nas. It's not LL Cool J. Oh no, let me let me allow you. So. Um, I'll probably say Fifty Cent. Really? Yes. Not because of interesting. I yeah. I just look at his journey. You know, 50 Cent never allowed himself to be stuck in that box. He understood the butterfly effect and he multiplied himself across many different, like he is so multifaceted. He said, you know what? I'm going to get rap money. I'm going to get Gatorade money. You know, he, he had his own vitamin water. He said, I'm um, going to TV get money, TV money. He said, I'm going to get, you know, alcohol branded money. He just, he became more than just a rapper. He became a brand himself and he just showed, he, he became a new blueprint. I mean, well, Nas did all that for the most part, but so, okay, may, maybe you're talking, you're transcending rap now, you're looking at things outside of rap. That's not just the flow and everything, but what do they embody kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, lyrically, of course, Nas is untouchable when it comes to the Queens rappers. Okay. And greatest rapper of all time. You know what I'm going to say. I'm from New York. Who am I going to say? Tupac. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm a huge Tupac fan, but I got to go team New York. Biggie. Jay? Oh, I, okay. I am a whole I haven't fan. heard from Jay in a while. When when last did Jay put out Mute 444, maybe? Jay just uh, launched his own cannabis brand. It's been a long time coming. He should have done that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Snoop has had his for, like, what, five years or something? Mm -hmm. Like, okay. And he just sold, like, 50% of Ace of Spades to, uh, what, what company was that? LVMH, maybe, or mm -hmm. something? But, yeah, Jay is, like, he doesn't even seem like he wants, he just, maybe he still loves music, so he puts out an album every now and then. But, yeah, definitely, there are a lot of songs I didn't understand. You know, Jay, like, we enjoyed them as kids, but growing up, like, they're still relevant because the lyrics in them are like, wow. Like he could combine like lyricism with like a message and with, like it's still melodious at the same time. Like that whole Rockefeller, what they did, like, yeah, shout out to them. And I, I've always said, like, I've been to New York maybe once or twice. I've always said, I just wanted to want to go to Rock Nation offices just to look. I'm like, huh. I'm not sure if they have their own building or if they're on a couple of floors somewhere. Just to, just to see, okay, this is Rock Nation building. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm with you. I'll, I'll be your passenger because like, it's just, I think um, Jay kind of changed the culture. He, he, he did. And he became what everyone inspired to do, to go from a D-boy to a businessman. Mm -hmm. It's not a businessman. He's a business. Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Aisha, for coming on the podcast. Um, you want to, like, drop your social media handles? How, how can people reach out to you if people need help, like, wanting to get into the tech sector or to the military or need help with PTSD? Like, um, what should they do? Yeah, I'm, I'm Tech Picasso, Tech underscore Picasso on Instagram, Tech Picasso on Twitter. Like, you can find me by my first and last name on LinkedIn. I'm very, very, very much passionate about helping people pivot into into tech. Hell, my dentist now works with me in tech. So nice. when I say that I'm passionate about helping people, I'm very passionate about helping people. So you I, I have a tech idea. Like I, I have a background in finance, so I have a fintech idea actually. So maybe I'll reach out to you in the future. We'll see yeah, what happens. Protect your IP. Make sure you lock your idea down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Starts with, anyway, we'll talk off air. So. Gotcha. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, again, it's been another episode of Culture Class Podcast. Thank you for listening. Follow us on all social media. It's Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Check out our website, cultureclasspodcast.com. Drop us a voice note if you have a question. And spam Aisha's DMs and comments and let her know that you listen to the episode. All right, guys. Till next time, be well.